0: Well, Christmas season is quite obviously here, quite festive here, and, and among the festivities, I and mean, one of the things I've noticed going shopping uh, for Christmas, um, is, is something new. And <coughs> someone somewhere had a, a, a neat idea, a couple of neat ideas, and they, they capitalized on this, you know, the fact that pretty much Christmas toys are really ugly. And so someone somewhere decided that they would have an ugly sweater contract, which is... Oh, you know, it's funny. Uh, and, and sometimes Christmas gifts can be really bad. So someone capitalized on that, and so we have white, and Christmas gift exchanges and stuff like that. I think that the, the YouTube is doing that today. Um, and, and somewhere, though, it took a turn. And I, I think we've gone about as far as we can go here with Christmas. That, that now stores are... Now, marketing, making and marketing bad sweaters, intentionally bad sweaters for these parties, like, hey, there's a market for bad sweaters, let's get in on it. Uh, let's intentionally make bad gifts so that people can exchange bad gifts uh, at their at their white House and Christmas party. Uh, I think it seems to take the spontaneity and the, all that out of it. Um, it, it just it doesn't seem quite right. There's another thing I heard this week, and at first this was kind of funny, ironic funny. Uh, then it was kind of sad, and that uh, all kind of made sense to me. But um, I heard this week that, you know, or not really I heard, like, like someone discovered this, but someone made the observation that, you know, we've never been a country as unchurched as we are now. This, this country has moved away from, from God, and... Uh, as it has done though so, I mean not that we're atheists or anything like that you know we're still a predominantly Christian countries but we are less church than we've ever been and we have more people who just kind of it's not on their mind on a daily basis and yet we've never celebrated Christmas earlier in the year when I think about it things stuff is getting thrown up you know decorations and stores. I mean pretty early in the year it's not like right mean. It used to be kind of like after Thanksgiving, stuff went out. No, it's like, it's out there with the Halloween stuff. It's like Halloween and, and Christmas stuff is out there. I it's kind of, like, first it's just kind of like ironic. But then you think about it, and it makes sense. It makes sense that in a nation that doesn't have a focus on God like it used to, that there's less happiness. And isn't it funny when people want happiness? Where do they turn? What is the happy moment of the year that Everybody's like, "This is this is happiness. This represents happiness to me." Well, let's celebrate Christmas. And there's such a hunger for Christmas. Well, Andrew, it's, it's not that. that. It's just that. You know, it's a a marketing thing. That's all it is. It's just, you know, stores want more money so they're marketing Christmas. Listen, if there wasn't a market for it, they wouldn't be marketing it. If people didn't want it, then they wouldn't market it because it wouldn't work. They have all their Christmas decorations out in June and and no one would be buying them. But people want Christmas. Now, they don't know why they want Christmas, I don't think. I, I don't think that people really go, you know what? My life is unhappy. And and I need more Jesus in it, and this is how I'll do it. But I think it's kind of like Acts says that we just kind of grope around from like like we're in darkness, kind of like we're half-blind, and don't know really what we're looking for. And I think that's where this society is at. In Christmas, because Christmas is about giving gifts, right? And worship is about giving gifts. We like to get creative. Yes. Sometimes those bad gifts, those white elephant gifts, come from people trying to be creative. And not just people trying to be creative, but when people try to get creative with what they give, that, as we say, creates a market. They create a market for things. And so, companies that make toys get creative, and so they came up with some of these ideas, which were really bad, bad ideas. The Austin Magic Pistol. Now, the what's great. Let me give my kid a an explosive weapon. That's a wonderful choice to give a kid. That is a bad idea. Um, javelin Dart. Let me give something. I mean, you want to talk about everyone's heard about things? You'll poke your eye out with that thing, right? These will actually and literally did poke people's eyes out. Javelin Darts were a bad idea. And I'm, and I'm just looking at the ages that these are marketed to up there, and, and it's like, we didn't want our kids... To, did, did the baby boomers not want their kids to make it to age 10? I'm not I'm understanding this. But like wood-burning kids, wood-burning kids, no, that's not a bad idea. Come on, that's not like traveling No, maybe not. But I know that I've gone down into my basement uh, on a number of occasions to clean up or do some work or do something, and... Uh there'll be, like, the hot glue gun will be cooking away, there's a big massive pile of hot glue all over the place, completely melted out of the hot glue gun, because it's been left on, I don't know how long, be days, be weeks, months. I don't know. That is a bad idea, because I'm looking at the ages of little kids, and they're like, the ages of my kids, that leaves the, the hot glue gun on. and I'm like, yeah, I can just see a wood burning set getting left on, and cook it up to your house. Okay. So Those are the obvious ones. You said, well, a fingerprint examination. You know, a little sciencey investigation thing. That's kind of neat. A little sciencey. Yes, it's sciencey. It also contains asbestos. That, uh, who was the person that, that said, you know what, we'll do? Here's a great thing to market to little kids asbestos. That's, that's wonderful. Let's put some asbestos in there. They're going to fool around with that. And then there's this nice little innocent atomic energy lab marketed in the 50s uh, during, the, during that whole craze and the, the, the space age is just, you know, just exploding, literally. And uh, the state market is just still looks innocent enough except for one fact. It contains... Uranium. It was actually trace amounts of uranium in the atomic energy lab. Bad idea. That is not a good idea. Hey, honey, our kid has that special Christmas float. No, that's neon green. I don't think that's. Uh, I don't think that's the Christmas float. And it, it comes with an extra arm coming out of the head. I don't think. You know, what in the world is going on? Why are we putting uranium in this toy so no, bad idea. Because we get creative. Our text is Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, 38 says, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength." And it talks about worshiping with all of our heart and with all of our soul. And God says, you know, the of like kids, Christians, is, you, you, like I wish my parents had thought a little bit more about the gifts they gave me. You know, sometimes like that. Really wasn't the thought. Well, thought I'll get there. And God says, the worship that you give me, I would like it to be a little bit more thought out sometimes. I, would, I want when you worship me, when you love me, the way you, the way you serve me, I want all of that to be done with the mind, but not some of the mind. I want it to be with all of your mind. I really want you to think this out. Think what you're doing. It is a thinking religion. No aspect of Christianity survives thought. And that's why I say that. Because when I say that Christianity is a thinking religion, it sounds kind of arrogant. And I don't mean it to be arrogant. You know, other religions have intelligent people. Most religions that I've ever encountered ha- are based on some kind of uh, intellectual thought and their principles and ideas. So when I say that Christianity is a thinking religion, it's not because I say that that we're the only smart ones on the planet and everyone else is so. That's not why I'm saying that. I'm saying that because no concept of Christianity survives apart from thought. And I realize that, that there are some difficult ideas to believe. That sometimes it challenges logic, like, like the resurrection or things like that. I haven't seen it. But they are still based on concepts. They're still ideas. And apart from thinking that he taking to the resurrection he says, that's not logical okay if it's not logical then I want someone to explain to me how a person who who disagrees with the theory, who who goes you know what I'm going to disprove the resurrection and he travels around the world and, and he, he meets all these different professors and, and he looks for intelligent people and they're like listen I've got a list of questions so he brings these like 15 questions to all these different different people and it's He says, I'm telling you on this idea. And how those people sit back and give him answers that eventually lead to him accepting the resurrection. How could you do that unless even the resurrection is a thought process? Well, because the Christianity, every element of Christianity is based on ideas. It is a thinking religion. So God says, you must worship me With your mind. Well, this presents some challenging concepts to our, or challenges to our evangelism. Katie works for uh, a Muslim woman, and she works for a Buddhist or Hindu woman. Uh, She cleans some houses, so they get in conversations. And it's kind of difficult. Because she wants to talk to them the way she would talk to, say, if she pleads for someone who just kind of believed in Christianity but had a different concept, we, are associ- we associate the way that we're supposed to talk to them the way they would talk to us. In other words, if you take a person who believes differently but they're kind of Christian, just differently thinking than you are, we all have this fundamental belief that the answer will be found in the Bible. And so we look for verses and sort of some support in a holy writings, and, and we're going to interpret these to try to support what we believe. Right? It's all based on the fact or on a concept that there's a thought process underneath what we believe. But you cannot, and this is her challenge, is how to address a person who's a Buddhist or a person who's a Muslim, because they don't have that. They have holy books, but those holy books are not necessary to understand or to know in order to practice your faith. Doesn't mean that they're dumb. It just means that the faith is not structured that way. That those religions are not structured in, in order, you know, so that you have to prove your your ideas in order to have that religious concept. They don't have that. For example, you know, last year we read through the Bible in a year. If you were, if, if we were a Hindu church, right, then Mike said, you know, we're going to we forget a year, we're going to do this in eight months. This would be, imagine doing that. This, by the way, sells for $295 on Amazon. Imagine happen to buy. A Bible for $295 on Amazon. That's 22 volumes right there. That's a lot of pages. That's the Beatitudes. If if we if we practice it, most Hindus haven't read hardly any. They might have read a couple of quotes from this, a couple of pages, you know, highlighted items, but they haven't read through this. They never will. They don't need to. It's not a part of their religion. So you can't say, well, over here in your Rig Veda, it says this. You can't handle it that way because that means nothing to them. Right? It's a different concept. But God says, no. You must worship me with your mind. Your mind has to be in this every bit as much as your heart is in this. There is an idea in the religious world that drives me straight up a wall. And, and you say, Andrew, how can it drive you off the wall because it's in the Bible? And the statement that I'm talking about is this idea of being led by the Spirit. And yes, you're right. The phrase appears in the Bible. It's not the phrase that bothers me. Because it's a, it's a very quiet concept if we understand the way God said it. But the problem is, is that being led by the Spirit is this idea that, that we're supposed to do everything spontaneously. And, and, and uh, there's there's no thought process to what we're doing. It's just all very spontaneous. Let's worship and being led by the Spirit. tra That's not what God means by being led by the Spirit. I, was, uh, I uh, did a, a series of lessons uh, for about a, a little over a year, about a year and a half, at a rehab center. And I would just uh, do some, some lessons on recovering from, from alcoholism and, and substance abuse. And uh, one day I went there, and, and so it's a bus ride. Bus drives, pretty cold, pretty long in the wintertime. And, uh, you know, buses are just very slightly faster, only slightly faster than, than walking. So so it's like a 15-minute bus ride out there, I me and my parents are going to get out there. And we're going to do a, a lesson we did on, I believe, Tuesday, And so we, we got out there Tuesday. And, uh, the, the guy, he's a, one of the Holy Spirit people, you know, that, that ran the rehab center. He meets us and says, well, we decided to do something different, uh, tonight, so, so we're, our, our people are occupied and not going to be able to do the lesson. And, uh, and he says, uh, I was like, do you think that you could have called me? Or it would have been, it would have been a polite thing to do, to, you know, to have me to call. We, we came out all this way. And, and he said, well, well, don't you believe in being led by the Spirit? We're just led by the Spirit. Uh, I I know that I thought this. I'm not sure that I said it. Um, But I I remember thinking at least, you know, I don't remember the Holy Spirit being disorganized. I, I don't remember. Why is it that the Holy Spirit only gets credit for being chaotic and disorganized? If everything is full of disorder, we're always led by the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit is going to go and the Spirit and the Spirit, Spirit. And why is it that, that don't we have a Holy Spirit God who can figure out on Monday what He wants to do on Tuesday and has the courtesy to, to, to motivate people and to, to be polite a little bit in advance? Don't we have that God? Don't we worship that God? Or is it just a disorganized God who has no idea what's coming on the next day? God wants us to worship with the mind. The God that we serve is a God of concepts. This affects us in a couple of ways. First of all, it is important to know who we worship. We love to talk about all the ways we worship, but we have this verse over here, John, the other woman we have on our wall, John chapter four. But I want to read a little bit before, a couple of verses before so those verses. Jesus said to her, "Woman, believe me, the hour is coming, and neither when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews." And and so he he's highlighting a couple of things here that. Worship, it's not just important how you do it. All the details surrounding the things, you know, uh, around all the forms. That's not the primary thing that's important. The primary thing that's important is that we know who we are worshiping. That's quite important. Now, he says, he tells us that genuine worship is identified in the Old Testament. That's important. A lot of times we think of the Old Testament and the New Testament as competing. They're no, not really. One is an extension of the other. But this lady, she didn't understand. She still thought it was about the location. The location uh, of... you guys think that the temple is so important, but we have this church building over here. Which one should we worship at? And, and she was, all of the rules, we talked about this, all of the rules and the, the forms and the formulas she had were based on a location. And says, Jesus says, it's not about the location, it's about worshiping him. we have this over here, worshiping him in the spirit of truth. And he says, but you worship what you don't understand because salvation is from the Jews so we say you need to go back and understand the original thoughts and ideas you don't understand what you're worshiping and so we go back then we go back and we find in Deuteronomy 6 and this is where the text that we've been working from is, is a quotation of not this specific verse but this this chapter and these verses come a little bit before that quotation he says, These words I command you today say shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and talk with them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you'll bind them as a sign on your hands and they will be as frontless between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Understanding, ideas, thinking, talking. That was where it began. Can you understand that, 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 that the Jew is The Jews gave us something important. It was the first time that in the history of the world that a religion had been codified, written and codified. Now, we had other codes. We had Hammurabi's code, for example, and there were some Egyptian histories and various things like that. But never a religion. A religion had never been codified as a summary of ideas of how to do the religion right and how to do it wrong. Right, and and so this salvation is from the Jews. This concepts, these concepts were handed to the world through Jews, and and Christianity is an extension of that. God has always built worship around ideas. So here's some foundational concepts, uh, and God challenges us to do some research. Right. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 3, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Remember saying that God doesn't compete. Right? And that's a New Testament concept. It's an Old Testament concept. It begins. The the, the law that he gives in that written code, it begins with this concept that God is a jealous God and and he, he doesn't want us to worship any other gods. Competing ideas are not allowed. God does not share his choice with other gods. Acts chapter 17 verses 22 through 25 says this. Paul, and we've read, I've referred to Acts 17 a bunch of times, and um, one of the passages that I really like. Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and I observed the object of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. So, that is what you worship as unknown. Remember this idea, the same concept as this woman. You don't know you're worshiping, and you don't know what you're worshiping. This is what I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Same idea. Not about location. Nor is he served by human hands, neither, and so he needed anything. He himself gives life to all mankind, and breath, and everything. So, we've talked about God not competing. But there's another idea in here that I think is important for us. Because we don't really serve God, we don't like, go home and have a bunch of God. But he is not simply a formidable power. A lot of times I think we refer to God as though he's a force to be reckoned. We think we're giving him due by referring to him as this powerful entity in the universe that we share. And so he's just another thing in the universe that's just really powerful. You know the old concept of you know, where does the 800-pound gorilla sit when he goes to the movies anywhere he wants? So we, we kind of think we're talking about belly. Hey, God is an 800-pound gorilla that does what he wants where he wants what he wants. But he is not just a powerful entity in the universe. He's not just the most powerful entity in the universe that we share. He is the reason for the universe. When we go to God, we are going to a maker. We are worshiping a maker. Not just one of many entities in the universe. And so it's not just about living my life and, oh yeah, I've got to think about how important God is. My life is structured around a maker. And so it's important to begin with knowing who we worship. It's also important to know how we worship. We, we do have to talk about that. But eventually, we do have to come here, don't we? How I worship. The verse, uh, Ephesians 5, verse 17 and 18. We've read this before. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with blind satisfaction, but be filled with the Spirit. Is that filled with the Spirit thing, right? it says do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is so so worshipping and being led by the spirit and all of that thing that's not separate from understanding that's to properly worship to properly love me to properly have a relationship you have to come to me thinking the expectations that he has of us are rationally concluded research Understand, know what to do and how to do it. We get used to doing things based on reflex. But Hebrews 10 16 says this This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. Says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. The, the, the nature of the covenant, the nature of, of Christianity is something uh, that we do in our mind. And we understand what God wants based on reading something. That's from the Jews. That concept is from the Jews. It is a covenant of ideas, as we said. It is not by reflex. 1 Corinthians 11, 28, 29, it says, Let a person examine himself." Talking about communion, and let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now I want to stop here for just a second and explain First Corinthians. First Corinthians. Uh, sometimes you want to teach somebody what to do. You teach them what not to do. Right. Sometimes you say, see, this is an example of what not to do. Right. First Corinthians is the letter of what not to do. Uh, they had kind of royally messed up worship uh, a lot they had messed up a lot and we're going to look at some of the things they messed up now I do want to note this that as that messed up as things had gotten and Paul decides to use them as an example of what not to do it is important in your spirit, uh, that Paul wrote them three letters now I know we only have two letters 1st and 2nd Corinthians and where's 3rd Corinthians? Well, actually, in the letter of 1st Corinthians, uh, he says, the former letter, uh, he talks about a former letter that he had written to you. And he says, in my first letter that I wrote to you. So, so we don't have 1st Corinthians. Actually, what we have is 2nd and 3rd Corinthians. Uh, that would look kind of funny if you open your Bible and we went Romans, 2nd and 3rd Corinthians. Where's 1st Corinthians? So we just call it 1st and 2nd Corinthians and we understand that there's another letter that's, that's not in there. But But here's this church that's so messed up, and yet they were worth God's time, they were worth Paul's time to try to fix them. So, so if you go, you know what, I'm kind of messed up. Uh, I, I, God can't fix me. Understand that, that the, the church that in the New Testament that God used as the example of what not to do, God sent three letters trying to straighten things out, and then we read Second Corinthians, and it looks like they're catching the bull of some ideas, and, and they're starting to get turned around. But he says this, and I want to talk about this specifically. He says uh, a person should examine himself and eat and drink of the cup. Sometimes we do this by reflex. And um, communion, we talk about it, and we say these words that, that this is the centerpiece because it's a representative of, of the sacrifice that Christ remembers. Sacrifice is the centerpiece of the relationship and all the worship is done around it. And we we say those things, but but sometimes it's a reflex. Which, uh he says, examine yourself. It's something that involves the mind. And we get thinking about what I'm going to do, and we're thinking about this, and we're thinking about that. But communion, as a part of our worship, as a, as a reflection on the sacrifice, is supposed to be done with the mind. First Corinthians 14. We've referred to this chapter before, verse 19 through 23. He says. Nevertheless, in church I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. The law, in the law is written by people of strange tongue and lips of foreigners. I will speak to the people, then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And so comes their time, not for believers, but for unbelievers. And prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers. But for believers, therefore the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and an outsider or unbeliever enters, will they not say that you are out of your mind? And I, I didn't have all the space to put this entire chapter up there, but he talks about wishes, rather singing or praying uh, just a few words in a known tongue. The word tongue means language. It's the same word. I went, when I was in Ukraine, I went very early while we were there. I went to a pizza restaurant that I don't suggest if you're in nicopol. But uh, they had a menu it said uh, it was nicely translated into English for us. So so I read this menu and I didn't I didn't understand it really at that point. It so says pizza was the, the language and I didn't really realize what that meant. So, uh, uh some of this other stuff, like they had like liver pizza and whatnot. And it does some really nasty stuff and they had pizza with corn on it and I so I ordered pizza with the language. I didn't really know what that meant. And it turned out it was cow tongue, right? So I don't like pizza with the language. Kind of gross. So it just means language. Language and tongue is the same word. So, so, he says, and, and so we need to understand what's going on here uh, before we can understand what, you know, what we should be doing right. We need to understand what they were doing wrong. So, God had given them the ability to speak in different languages so that they could talk to, say, if you're talking with somebody from a different country and you didn't know their language, uh, they didn't know your language, you can still evangelize. And so they didn't have Google Translate and all They didn't have that ability to study. And here's the, the church needs to spread out and, and preach the gospel in every language. And so it's kind of an emergency situation. God gave them the ability to actually, you know, they can speak Spanish. If they had never studied before, they could preach that gospel message in Spanish. That would be awesome. Wouldn't you? We wish you could do that. Uh, I I know that I wish I could have done that when I when I moved over to Ukraine. I would have spoken Russian right away uh, without having to study. It would have been great. Uh, But God didn't give you that ability. He gave these people that ability. And here's the problem, though. In Corinth, they all spoke the same language. So so here they had these abilities to do that for a specific reason, but they weren't using it for the right reason. So they were coming together in the church where they all spoke Greek and then someone would start speaking in a foreign language. Oh, so all of a sudden he's speaking Latin or he's speaking some other language that nobody in the church understands so he gets up there and he, he's giving this great sermon and no one knows what he's saying. And he's like, that's great that you can do that but that's not what they're for. So I'd rather just get up and say five words that everyone can understand than speak a whole message that no one understood. That's, the nuts and bolts of what's happening here and here's why it's important he said <clears throat> I'd rather pray just a few words that everybody could understand sometimes we pray uh, and it's a reflex it's not really done with the mind that's the point God wants us when we pray to pray with our mind He wants it to be understood you know, uh, we get together and we pray and Sometimes the prayers get a little bit monotonous, right? Um, you can just hit the recorder, and you can, you, it would be just easier, I think, if you if you hit record and recorded your prayer, and then whenever you want to pray, you just press play, you know. And it makes the food, and 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 you just go through and play pray for this person, this sick And, and you, it's not that it's wrong to pray for safety or for people who are sick. But we just get into the same thing and it's not a conversation between us and our Maker. God wants a conversation between us and Him. It gets predictable. Right? And singing. What about singing? So, we sometimes sing on and I want you to notice this phrase here. It when they, if, if an unbeliever enters, won't they say you're crazy? You know, here's an unbeliever. Imagine if you were back then and an unbeliever entered and you were all speaking in some foreign language that he didn't understand. They don't know you're speaking a foreign language. They don't know what's going on. They're a visitor. And it, they're going to conclude that people are nuts and they're going to leave. So... I want you to think, we don't have this exact same situation, because like I said, we don't have those kids, but we do have them in that class. You know, have you ever looked at some of the words of some of the songs that we sing? I picture somebody who's, you know, in, as we talked about this, unchurched world, coming in and sitting down for the first time and listening to us talk about raising an Ebenezer. Does anybody know? How many people know what an Ebenezer, raising Ebenezer is? Let's say we've got four, four people. Four people that know what raising an Ebenezer is. Okay. How many people are going to It has nothing to do, by the way, with the resurrection of Charles Dickens, you know, character. Right? That's the first thing my mind thinks about. It's, it's not, no, I happen to know what it is, because I, you know, once about of loud, and we have to know those sorts of things. Uh, we get quizzed on those. And, uh, so, so I kind of have to know what that was. Yeah. Here's one I don't know. Here's what I don't know. How many of you know what a knight with Evan Pinion is? A with Evan Pinion. Okay, we've only got two. We've got two. We have only got 2 we have got 2 we had 4 on the Ebenezer. We have two on night with Evan Pinion. But we've all sung that song. You've all sung the song, but you don't know what night with that opinion is. And I'd rather sing a, a couple of words that I know. will not come What are people going to come in? And they sit down in the back of our pews and they say, night with that opinion, what in the world? When I was in college, we sang this song uh, in chapel a couple of times. And there was a, a professor, uh, he wasn't a professor at our college, but we knew him. He was a, a, at another uh, Bible college uh, that we kind of were connected with. And uh, his name was Don Phanon, it was spelled almost the same way as Pinyon. And so uh, we, would, we would kind of sit in the back and we would sing uh, Night with Don Phanon's Brother. <laughs> True story. And uh, uh, so... Uh, th- what in the world does this mean? It sounds like Rack and I don't know what that means. Night with Evan opinion. Nobody else knows. We have two people that know what that means. If, if people come in and they say what you're singing, aren't they going to go, these people are nuts. I think it's time for us to, to get out the songbooks and kind of go, whoosh, whoosh. Let's get rid of that one and its Get rid of that one. Or, or we go back on the little uh, the, the computer handle and kind of delete, delete, delete. Is it time to go through our words and say, can we sing this with our minds? Are we singing this with our minds? Or is it just a reflex? Thing. God wants all of our thoughts and all of our minds in our worship. It's important to him. So as we close, want to we're not even going to ask two questions, we're just going to look at two words. It is about intention. Intention. It is not a random act. The Holy Spirit is not random. And it is about decision. The religious community promotes spontaneous worship, but unless you have the best way to do spontaneous worship is to have deliberate worship. If you if you have the habit of prayer, you will have spontaneous prayer. And it is about a decision. Worship is about your audience. If you haven't Decided, if you haven't made the intellectual activity of deciding to respond to your Maker, then I challenge you to do so now.